Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. This is Doug, and we're going to be talking about the history of remote viewing today. Got a couple questions that came in from Charles D. from Bend, Oregon. Hey, Doug, love your podcast. Have you thought about doing any episodes on crop circles? I love crop circles. Really? Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, I think that they're made by alien summer. Um, some are made by the guys with the board stuck to their mm-hmm. foot, walking around with the stick sitting in the middle. But there are some that couldn't possibly. So, yeah, we'll be, uh, in the future, we'll be looking at those. From uh, Marilyn Kay from Fresno, your stories on alien abduction really freaked me out. Yeah, they freaked <laughs> us out, too. I found myself looking up in the sky more. I've heard stories of people being abducted and tracking devices implanted in them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. As we go along, we've, we've done, obviously, the alien abduction episode, but we'll be looking into that more and more as we go along. Tim T. from El Paso. Welcome. Wow, your time travel story on John Teeter blew me away. I've always felt that time travel was possible after hearing your podcast. I went online to do my research, and although there are skeptics, I'm leaning towards this being true. Yeah, the John Teeter episode is one of my favorites, and in fact, it's the number one downloaded episode in the Alien Probe podcast. It's probably because of your guest host. Yeah, it was my guest host. <laughs> in the world of everyday existence, the five well, sisters. who am I? No, you're down here. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll get rolled in. You'll get rolled in, Kevin. I've got my brother Kevin here, so we'll... Uh, hey, everybody. We'll, 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 we'll roll him in here. Hang on. <laughs> In the world of everyday existence, the five senses reign, but the, their powers are sharply limited. We're, we perceive the universe in glimpses through narrow portals, acquiring our knowledge by sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. But what if there were more than, than this? What if there were other ways of seeing? All over the world, from time immemorial, some people have been called gifted known as the second sight, the third eye, the sixth sense, powers that seem to bypass the usual sensory channels and transcend reality. Shamans have commuted with the god saints, have seen visions and oracles, have foretold the death of kings. And from time to time, ordinary people have felt a momentary slippage into the strange world of the unknown. In ancient times, people spoke of prophecies and miracles, in our more rational age, such things tend to be called extrasensory perception, ESP, defined as the apparent reception of information through means other than the sensory channels. These gifted or special people have existed through every age and at times have had a great effect on history. Joan of Arc, the peasant girl of Orleans, claimed to hear voices that told her she was divinely appointed to rout the English from French soil. The predictions she revealed in the course of her life were accurate. The English did withdraw, and she even foretold her own imprisonment and death, saying that she would last but one year or a little more. Almost 500 years after burning her at the stake, the church declared Joan a saint. We have Kevin here. Kevin brought us the ever-popular AP, as we mentioned earlier, the APP John Teeter Time Traveler episode, our number one downloaded Wow. Episode. That's, Welcome, that's Kevin. Thank you, Will. Thank you for having Are me. Are we going to make again. this our new number one? That's, you, you know it. You know, I don't know if we can beat Teeter. <laughs> that's an interesting subject. There have been many gifted, insightful, intuitive people over the centuries, creative and inspirational thinkers. They all helped us understand our connectedness, connectedness to the universe and they led the way to our new and developing understanding of the mechanisms of intuition. What do you think about that, Kevin? Oh, I think that uh, one of the things that always fascinated about me was the sixth sense. You know, you remember that show that they had was yes. in the sixties or seventies about the, the people. Love that uh, show. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. It amazing. And um, um, I always felt that some people, you know, eat everyone, I think everyone, you know, you get that little feeling in your gut or the, Hair on the back. They always say, "Well, the hair on the back of my neck stood yeah. up." You get that. You look at a certain person. I think we all have um, a little bit of, of clairvoyance, but um, 
it, this particular subject just fascinates the heck out of me. It's interesting because my son, my oldest son and I, Robert, our producer, we have the same thing. We have this, we think of a TV show and all of a sudden we see the show come on oh, or we see wow. an episode of it. We have that same thing and we're thinking, well, maybe we saw, maybe it was a commercial. We don't know, <laughs> but I don't know. So there's, uh, there's four types of ESP that are commonly studied and experienced. There's telepathy, which uh, is the transference of thoughts from one person to another. And it's thought to occur most often in people such as identical twins and others with a, an emotional bond. Clairvoyance, or the awareness of distant people, objects, and events, sometimes comes in the form of a vision, but more commonly as a quick flash of mental image. Precognition, that's seeing and knowing of something before it actually happens, occurs as a vision, mental flash, or a dream. And then uh, psychokinesis, which is distant matter or moving, affecting objects and things using the power of the mind. You can't do that. Can you do that thing where you bend a spoon? I cannot do that. But I was yeah. wondering why they don't have telekinesis on there as well. That's interesting. Telekinesis. I wonder if psychokinesis is. Could be. Because, yeah, telekin. You know, and many scientists and skeptics scoff at ESP research. Uh, and again, we'll roll into the more juicy uh, forms. Kevin brought us this um the subject and it's really intrigued me so that's why we're we got together on this but i kind of want to give a background um uh, just kind of set it up um as you know our uh, lovely government has um, utilized some of these things uh, absolutely of course they have uh but gallup polls have uh, continuously shown a high level of belief in this phenomenon some of the practices like remote viewing and we'll refer to this as rv later not the good cool guy like recreational vehicle, but remote view, have years of scientific data spanning many millions of trials from many different scientific laboratories. And to some scientists, the reality of an effect has been proven beyond all doubt. And yet to others, well, let's just say it remain, they remain skeptical. There are many instances and stories of experiences why a natural form of remote viewing seemed to have been in effect from the earliest of time and human experiences right up to the 1970s, Kevin's favorite <laughs> era, when the CIA started to take notice. We always like it when the CIA, CIA starts oh, to take notice. Oh, you know it. This then started the modern remote viewing era as funding was poured into secret research at SRI. So it didn't spring into existence uh, overnight. It's earliest ancestors can be traced back thousands of years to the days of the early Greeks and beyond. But RV's most direct precursors date to the 1930s, beginning with experiments. Did you see any of this, the 30s? I haven't seen it as far back as the 30s. Um, yeah. Beginning with the experiments in clairvoyance and under consciousness sciences like J.B. Rhine. Research into telepathy and thought transfers by notables such as Upton Sinclair described in the book Mental Radio and Jean Orcolier, I think that is, Mind to Mind, together with investigators into out-of-body states, contributed further to the developments that would eventually produce remote viewing. In the 60s and early 70s, out-of-body experiments were conducted in radio, New York City, excuse me, New York City, by researchers of the American Society for Psychical research. One of the subjects of these experiments was Ingo Swan, an artist and student of the paranormal who had come to New York years before from Colorado. Tiring of the standard research protocol, Swan suggested a number of changes in and improvements to the experiments, which among thing, other things led to a successful series of attempts to mentally describe the current weather in various cities around the U.S. After Ingo's descriptions of weather conditions in these cities were verified by a phone call to a weather station or other reliable authority. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, as, yeah. you know, I mean, this remote viewing could be, you can see, you look at it, you can see things anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. huh, that's interesting. There was an experiment done by, um, I think this is recent, and I'll cite uh, Coast to Coast AM, which is probably one of the most popular nighttime programs, where the host, George Norrie, asked 
there was a hurricane coming down on Florida a couple of years ago, and he asked his listeners, which are in the millions at night, to all concentrate on turning the hurricane, and the hurricane turned. Didn't the calamity? Oh my God! Really? Yeah, I think that was uh, I think two years ago, and um, um, so every once in a while he'll do a um, a reach out to if there's a storm or more recently if somebody's really really sick he'll just ask for the power of positive thinking for somebody out there to make that. Now I haven't heard any outcome of it, really? um, but uh, yeah, and so. I think psychic powers multiplied by a bunch of people could be interesting. That's a power. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think we really understand the true power of the brain. That's what do they say? We only use like a small portion of what, what we could be using. These experiments suggested to us that something unusual to current understanding was involved by the remotely viewed locations and objects otherwise inaccessible to direct human perception. The results were provocative and underscored the value of further research. In the early 70s, 1972 looks like, reports started filtering out from the former USSR that psychic research was being taken seriously. This coupled with the, released, uh, the release of the book Psychic Discoveries from Behind the Iron Curtain caused an intelligent community to look at, into psychic research or fall behind. After all, if the enemy was looking into this, then so should they. You know, if the, you know, if Russia's doing it, we got it. You know, obviously we got to do it too. Yeah, yeah, but I think a lot of their findings were uh, slightly exaggerated. You think so? <laughs> I think so. They just made it up. So then we went ahead and did it. We ran with it anyway, right? In '72, Dr. Hal Hudoff, a physicist at SRI International, a California-based research institute. Is that one of your things? What year are we running into on the research? Oh, I did. mine's still Wins early year 70s. In, yeah, I don't have a specific You year. don't have Pudoff in No, yours? I don't have mine. I don't have a physicist at SRI International, a California-based research institute that had been spun off from Stanford University, expressed the interest to a researcher in New York in conducting research into a form of non-conventional communications. The New York researcher was an acquaintance of Swan's, which fact eventually led to Swan and Pudoff getting together to conduct an experiment that ultimately attracted attention and funding from the CIA. Research physicist Russell Targ soon joined Swan and Pudoff at SRI, forming the core of a team that researched and refined understanding of what have now become known as remote viewing. For the next two decades, most remote viewing research was funded by government and performed in a secret, in secret, excuse me. But a few less secretive sources have provided, also provided support, and a limited amount of non-classified information about RV was published. In the mid-1970s, government support for the growing RV program moved from the CIA to the Defense Intel, the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, as well as certain other military organizations. Subsequent experiments and research explored the edges of what remote viewing could do and tried to improve quality and consistency of the results. In 1978, the U.S. Army created a unit to use RV operationally in collecting intelligence against foreign adversaries. This program continued under Army sponsorship until 86, when the operational and research arms of the government remote viewing program were combined under the leadership of DIA. In about 91, DIA renamed the program Stargate. By this time, the research part of the program had itself been transferred from SRI to Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC, and was directed by Dr. Edwin May who had replaced Hal Pudoff in 85 when Pudoff moved to assume directorship of the Institute of Advanced Studies in Austin, Texas. So you have something on Project Stargate there? Well, I have a, so from the, what my understanding of the way this started off is, is there was a young man in, in the late 60s that came to, um, came to light called Yuri Geller. And Yuri Geller was a um, self-proclaimed um, psychic and his abilities were to read minds, and what he would do, 
Um, I don't know if it was a parlor trick, but he brought to light where he would sit in one room and he'd have somebody sitting in another room and he'd ask that person to draw something on a piece of paper. And he would, in, the, in his separate room, would be able to mentally see that picture and draw it. And there, there's actually a film showing that when they, they both their shapes matched. Well, this is, from what I understand, came to the CIA started taking notice of this, especially since the Russians are saying that they have some type of psychic connection somewhere, which I never really truly believed. But they started really paying attention to this Geller guy. And in addition to that, he used the famous spoon bender. He was able oh, to use telekinesis yeah. to, uh, to bend a spoon. What's ironic about him, of course, he was Israeli-born, which really doesn't have any prevalence here, but what was, what's, he, was, he promoted himself as a psychic, and he would predict things. And, and I don't know how accurate all that is, but he, um, his, his claim to fame was being able to manipulate um, material and objects. Well, he went on the on the uh, Johnny Carson show, and he had some objects there. He had a spoon, and he had a couple of shot glasses. And and Johnny Carson at the time said, you know, show us your thing. Well, of course, he couldn't bend the spoon, and he couldn't move the shot glasses. So he pretty much fell out of the fell out of the limelight. Yeah. And um, he, he was said, able to do that, but when he went over, yeah, show. and you know, it, but most of his. Um, um, most of his evidence came from eyewitnesses and from 8mm film, which you can manipulate. So I don't know how true that is, but the main thing about this whole story is, is that the CIA was taking notice that there's somebody that's able to, hey, if I can you know, have somebody has real strong psychic powers, can I see something? So they started their, their Project Stargate, which, um, which back then was done by the DIA. And they, what they did is they... Um, hired what they called psychics at the time, and they didn't like that terminology, so they turned it into remote viewing. And they determined that they wanted to be able to um, look at for assets. They wanted to be able to find um, double agents and spies. They didn't really get into weather and all that other stuff. They wanted to find you know, anybody that was doing something wrong in the government. What was interesting, and I, I just recently found out, was... Um, there's a young lady named Angela Ford, and Angela Ford was hired because she was a self-proclaimed, once again, a psychic. And according to what I've read, she was a very strong psychic. And so they um, they put her in this room in this ugly-looking building on, at Fort Meade, and they said, we want to try this out. We want you to find a rogue agent, and the rogue agent's name was Charles Jordan, and he had been uh, identified as being a rogue agent and had been on the run. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. And so through her concentration within a very short period of time, she said he's in Wyoming. She gave the city that he was in and the state that he was in. And, wow. they, and they found him and arrested him. So that prompted them to really start investing their money and their time into, into psychics. Where the remote viewing came into play is, is that um, rather than just have one psychic person to uh, look for assets out there, they said, what if we filled a room full of psychics and we concentrated on one thing? So these people would come in in the dozens and sit in a room and they're all are given, they're not given any specifics. They're saying, you know, we want you to find a name. Not going to tell them it's somewhere in the world. This is where we want to find it. And according to what I understand is they were able to use these psychic powers to find certain people, even some missing hostages that they were looking for. How did, now we got Project Stargate, is Angela, how is she affiliated with Stargate? She was part of the project. Back then it wasn't called, like you said, it didn't, the name changed. Yeah. Um, there's several, um, because it's a military project, they always, whenever they want to change funding, they, right. uh, they call it a different thing. It's been called the Gondola's Wish. It's been called the Grill Flame Project, Center Lane, Project yeah. CF, Sunstreak, Scanate, and then eventually the Stargate Project, which was in, and ended up giving it to outside contractors to do um, yeah. for that. The early results uh, impressed the intelligence agencies, namely the CIA, who were funding, like you were talking about, the early research, but not all was well at SRI. Ingle Swan, and I don't have Angela in mind, so that's good. That's a good uh, 
of Ingle Swan and Pat Bryce allegedly did not get on well in the psychic contest that raged between them. Often felt like it would explode outside the SRI itself. In August of 73, Ingo's contract ended and he left SRI. Um, in 74, Pat Price left SRI to work for the CIA directly. Ingo returned and was tasked with producing a methodology for remote viewing that was teachable and offered repeatable results for an Intel use. So I guess they can teach this thing to people that maybe didn't have the gift. I don't know. That's kind of weird. I don't know. Well, it's my, what I know is, is that they, um, some people had a vague knowledge of their psychic powers and they were given tests and it was determined whether or not they were going to be able to do things to enhance their ability to identify right. their ability. So they had a so, base. Of yeah, it. They had a... yeah. So they would try okay. to, they'd say, you, you have the, the ability to do this. We're going to teach you how to do it better. And the main thing that I, that I've read is that it would, it took a tremendous amount of focus. I mean, you cannot think of anything. You were put in a dark room with no windows, no sound, and you were told to concentrate on one thing. And, um, from my understanding, it was very, very successful. Oh, that's interesting. This method of uh, controlled remote viewing over the period of 78 to 86 CRV was developed and tested out of SRI using first Ingo as the primary test subject, then eventually into 25 selected trainees, including the military remote viewers who were trained in Ingo's techniques. Uh, CRV was developed for and used by the military right up till the end of the military and Intel psychic spying program in 1995. Now CRV is taught to the general public by some of Ingo's military students and some have adapted CRV with changes, creating their own methods and products over the years so that we now have CRV, TRV, SRV, TDS and other variants. The other side of the secret program, we're still talking about Stargate. Um, the other side of the secret program, based out of the SRI and then later SAIC, from 85 to 95, used initially CRV, but then adopted a different, more natural approach method to remote viewing than Ingo's very rigid six-stage CRV. This method, this type of method is championed by people like Mc, Joe McMoneagle, that doesn't even look like a real name. In 1986, the remote viewing program left SRI, and Edwin C. May took it to SAIC, where it continued with Intel funding until 95 when the CIA went public with the program and the official program closed. Um, the history of Stargate is. Um, well, if you, you mentioned some of these, you may have Gondola Wish was Army INSCOM from 77 to 79. Wow. Grill Frame, you mentioned Army INSCOM and AMSAA from 79 to 83. Then went to Centerline from Army INSCOM 83 to 85. Then Dragoon Absorbed from Army INSCOM and DIA from 85 to 86. Sunstreak. DIA 86 to 90, and then Stargate from 90 to 95. Concurrent with the government RV program, civilian researchers were exploring phenomena relating to remote viewing. Some of these were replications of SRA's experiments, while others followed complementary avenues of research. Most prominent of the latter were Charles Hornerton's Gansfield techniques and the remote perception experiments conducted at the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratory. That's a mouthful. Uh, civilian applications were being explored as well. In 95, the Act of Congress transferred responsibility for the Stargate program from DIA back to CIA. That fall, the CIA declassification portions of the program and uh, released a controversial research report purporting to show that remote viewing was not useful as an intelligence collection tool. By the time this 
document was released, the CIA had already terminated the remote viewing program, they say. Uh, in the years since the 1995 closure of the government program, a number of persons previously associated with it have gone public by publishing books, giving media interviews, and or offering training commercially in remote viewing methodology. And then we've talked about before in other episodes, the MK Ultra, which is the um, CIA-led experiments of mind control, which uh, the experiments began in 53 and continued into the late before. Do you have anything else on Stargate before we no. roll into MK? Now, the experiments began in 53 and continued into the late 60s. CIA researchers subjected thousands of U.S. and Canadian citizens to experimental tests including electric shock therapy, brain surgery, and LSD dosing in order to identify methods for controlling human behavior. That sounds fun. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is when, I did, when I've done research, and obviously we're talking about MKUltra today as much, but um, the CIA determined in order to control someone's mind, they had to first wipe it. And so they used LSD to just make these people freak out. I mean, they just, you know, they just, you know, they, they call it brainwashing, but just to totally just wipe their, their minds in order to be able to plant whatever they wanted to plant in them, including the Manchurian candidates. Yeah, I remember, brain, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, I remember that term a long time, the brainwashing. Mm -hmm. That yeah. must be what they're referring to. So the, the, their main thing was, is um, the, the main, the MK Ultra program was to make, um, soldiers into you know assassins and you know the way it worked from my understanding is is that you, you could take uh, a person who's just like you or i just a normal working individual uh, that has, has gone through this program and um, wipe their mind reprogram them put them back out into society and have a word that you could say to them that would trigger whatever their their program is for an assassination or some type of covert action would be they flip into that mode, um, which some people think that um, Sirhan Sirhan was really? part, part of that uh, because he has no, according to him, has no recollection of what he did yeah. and um, has no background that would make you believe that he, you know, had to go and, and be and killed one of the Kennedys. Yeah. And um, but he's um, he swears up and down that he was part of a military program. Um, that, uh, you know, was retraining his mind. Huh. That's amazing. Project MKUltra was a series of CIA-led experiments of mind control. The most famous MKUltra experiments involved LSD, like you were saying, but mm -hmm. the program also tested the effectiveness of hypnosis, electroshock therapy, and brain surgeries, like we said. The experiments were conducted with the full consent of the subject. Uh, that's frightening. Many, they say, they say. <laughs> many subjects were in vulnerable positions like incar incarceration or psychiatric treatment. The federal government was brought to trial several times as a result of the project. Concerns about Project MK Ultra led to the executive order stating that experiences with human subjects must require affirmative consent. The CIA hoped that successful methods could be used. Successful methods could be used as interrogation tactics for alleged criminals or prisoners of war. These experiments were conducted without full consent of the participants, and the federal government was sued and brought to trial multiple times over the resulting deaths and injuries. Um, in one of our previous episodes, we discussed that. The aliens, I mean, I'm going to roll this, that was weird. The aliens have actually agreed to take a thousand citizens, I don't know what the time period would be, a year or whatever their allocation was, and then to do whatever experience they were good. We, we, we okayed that, not you and I, but, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. Um, and then they actually were taking thousands, and I did, you know, but it, it turns out, I mean, did you know how many people go missing a year? Did oh, you I listen to that episode? Uh, yeah, I guess. Half a million. Yeah, it it says um, the missing, uh, 
the organization Missing and Exploited Children in mm -hmm. the IC, I think, or something like that. They say that half a million, 400,000 and something people are reported missing every year. And Debbie, who we had on during the episode, she goes, that's fine. You know, kids, kids run away. Mm -hmm. You know, but they don't say how many came. Well, she says they, they don't say how many came back. And I go, okay, well, 400,000 are missing. Did 400,000 come back? I mean, it's, where did all the other people go? I mean, do you know of anybody who's ever gone... That ever went missing and I know, I know one person that went that did, yeah did, but I I don't believe it had anything to do with aliens I knew a person way back in my college days that um, um, he was a heavy gambler and he worked where I worked and um, one day he just didn't come to work anymore now I don't know if that has to do with the fact that he was a heavy gambler or the fact that uh, the UFO came and snagged his ass up, but uh, or was he some gambling <laughs> dead? He had to change his be. name. It could be, but, <laughs> but uh, he, I mean, he had a family and he was gone. I mean, he had a he had a wife, he had a baby, a, a, a very young toddler, and he was gone. That's she she came down to where we worked several times. Just just that fascinates me. Yeah, the alien something. connect, alleged alien connection. Yeah. I mean, yeah. where are these people? Okay, so there's four hundred thousand. Let's say a half of them. Yeah. Okay, there's 200,000. Two and yeah. it's like, okay, where are they taking them? Oh, they're taking them. And then they're taking them underground in, in Nevada or somewhere, <laughs> you know, in Utah or wherever it is. And they're putting, then we looked in, we kind of looked into it further. And it, the story goes that they're putting tracking chips in them uh -huh. yeah. and, you know, three centimeters or whatever they are. And then they're mm -hmm. releasing them back to, you know, these are the people that were missing then came back. So I don't know. Maybe most of the 400,000 are coming back or they just have these things in their head. And that's hard to say. Back to Ultra in 1953. Well, we're going way back again. Alan Doles, then director of the CIA, initiated the MK Ultra program. It seems that Ultra and Stargate are completely different. Maybe Ultra was the beginning. I don't know. The reasoning was threefold. Uh, first, U.S. intelligence had learned that Russia was testing a drug, bulbocapnine, which was said to affect willpower in order to extract information from a subject. Have you ever had that? I don't think I've ever tried that I one. I don't think that one of the <laughs> <laughs> Which was said to affect willpower in order to extract information from a subject. Second, during the Korean War, North Korea had used LSD as an interrogation method of prisoners of war, and the U.S. sought to identify methods to counter such a tactic. Wow. Third, the U.S. no longer had a monopoly on nuclear weapons and therefore wanted new weapons to influence leaders and extract information. I, I mean, I'm a student, obviously, Kim is from the 70s, mm -hmm. as most of us are, but never used LSD. No, 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 no. You know, um, I know that was a thing. It's probably just before us thinking. Mostly, you know, they lick the stamps, they put it on. It's yeah, we had it in high school. We had it in high school. I just saw what it I mean, it was there. It freaked them out. Thoughts. It just it, absolutely freaked them out. You know, and I, a friend of mine's brother took it, and it actually, it ruined his mind. I oh, mean, my God. He, he went, I mean, this is something that turned me off to drugs. Um, it, he, it, he, he worked for my dad. He was a, I remember he was just a regular, you know, teenage guy. And something happened, it just, he just it permanently screwed his head up. Wow. I mean, you got he literally homeless, halfway houses. I mean, it just was so sad. He was just a, he was a really nice guy and just, I mean, totally harmless. I mean, he, you know, I saw him in later, he's passed since, but saw him in later years. Wow. Just, I mean, it ruined him. I thought, I am never get involved in something like that. I mean, it. I don't know if he took too much. I don't know how it works. So it's. Yeah, I was a. Uh, I was a, a. Had a young lady in high school that somebody slipped her a Mickey, according to. Uh, I was told it was LSD. I don't have any way of knowing, but we, two of us, spent the night with her, and uh, she was freaked out. I mean, she was talking about the walls looking like they're breathing. And, well, I've heard it. Yeah, they, know, pet, they pet their dog and it turns to bones. Yeah, it's just all kinds of weird. So, can you imagine being interrogated when you're hallucinating oh, like that? And yeah, you've got some shit. guy standing over you going, you know, is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? <laughs> <laughs> is it safe? 
Yeah, the dentist. So uh, those of you you remember the marathon, man. (laughs) Oh, yeah, one of my favorite shows. Sidney Gottlieb, an American chemist who was also known to take LSD himself. I just don't get that taking it for recreation. You know, I think that would be fun. No. And it's like, you know, presided over the, the program as the chief of the CIA's technical services. The experiments primarily took place at penitentiaries, hospitals, so I can imagine that, and universities, targeting people who could not fight back. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm sure they did yeah, that. Heck yeah. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. Patients and inmates were given doses of LSD and other hallucinogenic wow. drugs or subjected to electric shocks without consent when examined for changes in behavior. Yeah, what a nightmare. Additionally, the CIA hired sex workers to dose unsuspected clients at brothels. Oh, my gosh. Hell, yeah. There's a <laughs> oh selling point. No, it's Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a good selling point. And even dosed their own agents during the period of experimentation. Oh you don't think you want to try that? Yeah. Yeah, hey, you know, hey, well, that's only because the girls were not very water, candy, you want some water, candy, <laughs> or would you like uh, some LSD? Oh, lordy. The most famous MK Ultra experiments involved LSD, but the program also tested the effectiveness of hypnosis, electroshock therapy, and brain surgeries, so, which also sounds like fun. Because it's... <laughs> I wonder if we cut in here, we do this, and some. Yeah, I can just imagine. Damn, they crushed They us. knew nothing. Yeah, exactly. Because the CIA later destroyed documents related to MK Ultra. I don't. I wonder why. You think? I mean, it sounds like a little bit like Nazi Germany. I don't. Uh, you know, I mean, not totally, but some of the things that have gone on there certainly are uh, similar. Most of what we know about the experiments come from the testimonies provided by. Experiment subjects that survived. Farrell Kirk, a plaintiff in one of the lawsuits against the CIA, stated that the experiments with LSE caused him to experience extreme depression and drove him to attempt suicide. After his suicide attempts, he was questioned and studied again, then placed into solitary confinement. What's What's interesting to note is that um, you were talking about uh, the Nazis. Uh, Operation Paperclip, people know that as being that we recruited some of the Germans to come over, their scientists to come yeah. over to help us with the rocketry program. Order, order but but yeah. what, what I also read was that um, not, they came over in many, many, it wasn't just rocketry, it was other things, yeah. medicine. And it's my understanding that some of the, the individuals, the Nazis, that were in the camps doing experiments on the poor Jews, actually, they indoctrinated actually ended them, up with using us, them. Yeah. Yeah. It, to the point where um, I just finished reading that um, they um, they'll erase their records for any connection to a war crime because right. of the experimentations they did in the in the, uh, in the camps, and uh, that's scary as heck. It's okay I mean, for us. Yeah, I mean that's just oh my god. You're an American now. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jiminy Christmas. James Knight, who had been incarcerated for liquor smuggling, explained that the experiments gave him violent tendencies. And severe memory loss. Yeah, because that would the booze wouldn't do that. No, yeah, not at all. Before the experience, <laughs> all of his arrests were nonviolent offenses, but afterwards he was arrested multiple times for assault. Okay. He was angry. Well, I, you know, yeah. I, I don't doubt that. I mean, he, <laughs> if he was messed with, his mind was messed with. I mean, we hear about people that would take it and jump off balconies yeah, to they, their they, death. They, I mean, they think they can fly. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, my God, to, to think that that thing went public and the average person could get it is frightening. One particularly famous subject in the MK Ultra experiments was Whitney Boulder, a Boston crime boss. Boulder alleges that while incarcerated in Atlanta Penitentiary, he was subject to experiments related to schizophrenia. Oh, my God. I'm sure you didn't have that before. Yeah, of course not. Along with eight or nine other inmates, he was dosed with LSD and asked about crimes he may or may not have committed. Bolger described a rise in his own violent tendencies after the LSD experiments, as well as hallucinations and difficulty sleeping. He didn't have violent tendencies before that, right? It was just 
Wow. Most crime bosses wow. that I've heard of were completely docile. They never had any tendencies toward violence, and all of a sudden, you know. You know, what's interesting is that uh, I, I just saw a documentary on World War II where they, they talked about that when the Germans were losing, um, they wanted their soldiers to be strong, and they were given a meth. Yeah, yeah, I've heard they, of that. They were given a meth so that they wouldn't have any empathy, and they just were brutal, yeah. you know, just they wouldn't sleep. And I'm just like, and they showed a picture of the box, and it looked like a regular... Like you buy a Cracker Jack box, it had you know a logo on it, and you know it said it had a it had a, a trade name which I don't remember what it was. It didn't say meth on it, but it had methamphetamine in it. And I'm like, holy Toledo. Well, Hitler, he got injected with it. Yeah, I heard he had some kind allegedly of allegedly got yeah his doctor would inject it in him, and the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah he looks was, like a guy that might yeah you know, he definitely cuckoo for Coca Puss towards the end. Ted Kaczynski, we oh, all know him, yeah, one of our Ted. favorites. Better known as the Unabomber, who killed three and injured 23 with homemade bombs, was a subject of MK Ultra Test while a student at Harvard University. Wow. In 50. I bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. Dr. Henry Murray tested his theories of behavioral modification and mind control on dozens of students like Kaczynski by subjecting them to extreme verbal abuse and then monitoring the reactions. Sounds like the military. Associated deaths. Oh my God! We knew this was coming. Yes. At least two deaths are directly associated with the MK Ultra experiments. Those of Frank Olson and Harold Blower, Olson bacteriologist for the CIA's Camp Dietrich in Maryland, was unwittingly laced with LSD while on a CIA retreat. But you're going to eat that sandwich. Oh, oh that doesn't have LSD in it, does it? <laughs> They're just, the handling, you know, the chain of custody wasn't very good back there. Yeah. They, you know, the LSD kind of dropped it in soda. And, I don't know. So they gave the guys LSD and rupees to the girls. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Due to the increased paranoia, he was sent to New York to be treated by a CIA psychologist. Those are the best. On November 28, 1953, he died oh. after either falling or jumping out of a 13-floor window. What or, be, does it make? or being, or being <laughs> or be pushed. pushed. Or being pushed. <laughs> they didn't put that in there. <laughs> we forgot that part. Olson's family was initially told of the suicide, but not of the experiments. There is speculation that members of the CIA pushed Olson, just like we said, but the initial cause of death was ruled a suicide. Then charged to an accidental death. Changed, excuse me, changed to an accidental death. The Olson family brought a lawsuit against the U.S. government for the experimentation leading to Frank's death, but they settled out of court. Of course they did. Cleaner that way. Harold Blower was a patient at New York State Psych. Did we just talk about Blower? Yeah, we did. Well, we start. We started talking about him then oh, okay. in detail. Voluntary admitted himself to a treat. Uh, to be treated for depression. While in treatment, he was unknowingly dosed with mescaline derivatives. Oh my gosh. One of the, that was another one when I was oh, in high yeah. school that was big. Uh, one of which turned out to be a fatal dose. Wow. The Institute identified his cause of death as self-inflicted self -inflicted overdose, although they were administering it to him. You know, um, Blower's family sued the hospital for neglecting to monitor his medication. So he just... So what, it was on the shelf and he could take as much as he wanted? or Usually, oh. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the hospital, I don't get to take as much as I want. No, no. You know. Sued the hospital for neglecting to monitor his Medicaid. After the MK Ultra program came to light, the family was informed that Blower's death was a result of the experimentation. You know, there's there's thoughts that uh, Hinckley was part of that process, too, <laughs> uh, uh, of the MK Ultra program, although that hasn't been verified, but... One of the things that's unique about him and others is that um, they kept track of them by planting books in certain stores that normally wouldn't be purchased, like The Catcher in the Rye, which is not exactly on the top 10's bestseller list. Right. And they found several copies of that book in Hinckley's apartment after he had done his deed. That's so, interesting. Why so, would he buy multiple copies? Well, so it was, it was, in, it was in according to what I understand is it's implanted in your mind that you have to buy this book. You have to buy it. And that way they can keep track of your movements. So, um, 
Um, so, for instance, you know, if, if he decides that he's going to go from, from here to San Francisco, he's in San Francisco, he's going to be compelled to buy that book, and they know exactly where he's at. That's a good they, wow, that's a, they're good. able to monitor um, uh, without putting a, a GPS in his kazoo uh -oh. up, his, up his tush. But that's so Hinkley had several copies of that. That's wild. Because of and trials and aftermath, because the test subjects were either partly or entirely unaware of the experiments, and because the test resulted in a number of deaths and injuries, in trial and error, you know, yeah, it's like any other heck, experiment. You know, it's just the sex workers, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the federal government was sued and brought to trial several times over MK Ultra. After the Watergate scandal led to greater overall scrutiny of the government processes, the CIA destroyed many documents related to MK Ultra. By the time of the trial a few years later, there was not much paper evidence of the illegal experimentation. That's the way to do it. Well, getting back to the remote viewing, um, one of the people that um, in today that's actively involved in it is Ed Dames. Have you heard of Ed Dames? Yeah, he's kind of major Ed Dames, yeah. And um, his thing is there, um, according to him, and, and I've actually heard his, his, his speaking, is they want to be able to create actual assassinations using mind. And um, his big thing today, though, is he's, he's able to, he's saying he's predicting the end of the world. Is he? So, so he's, his big thing is that there's going to be a um, explosion of the sun where the, uh, the coronal, it's called a coronal, coronal effect, effect, and it's going to, it's called a kill shot. That's what, actually, that's his big book is called a kill shot. And it's supposed to just come in and, and just take out all our electronics and then we're living we're in the Stone Age. We're living in the Stone Age. So we better start hoarding. You got enough toilet paper? I, I think I might have a couple rolls, uh, otherwise I'll come okay. to your house. I yeah, you can come on up here. We're at least leaves, yeah, leaves in the backyard. In 74, the New York Times published an article about the CIA's directing non-consensual mind control experiments. The report led to a creation of the Church Committee to investigate the nation's intelligence gathering program and hold Senate hearings. Victims of the experiments filed lawsuits against the federal government for human rights violations and neglect. I was fascinated by how they name these things, the church committee. Well, you know, what fascinates me is anytime they form a committee, it's just like, um, you know, since the dawn of time, since we're able to, to talk about this stuff, UFOs. I mean, every time they have a presidential people committee, so I'm going to find out, I'm going to get to the bottom. Clinton, I'm going to get to the bottom yeah. of this. I'm going to disclose yeah. it. Reagan touched on it a little bit. And even Trump recently said, oh, you know, we're going to declassify those files. And today we have committees, we have the Blue Book Project, we have all this stuff that just won't, you know, so I don't trust these committees because they're only going to be able to get whatever information is fed to them. Yeah. And and um, and I'm sure, you know, they are able to interview some of these guys and gals that were experimented with. I mean, if they're already labeled as being cuckoo, how much of their testimony is yeah. true or made up? And especially since some of them have the, uh, desire to get settled out of court, so to speak, because you're, you know, you get a nice little check for Uncle Sam. So, I don't trust these these so-called committees at all. Yeah, it's a lot to wade through. Certainly. And then, of course, the MK Ultra and other projects like that, they just go deeper underground. It's like, you know, yeah. okay, you caught me. Okay, well, we're not doing it anymore. And you call it some, well, they, they, they call rename them. Look yeah. how many times yeah. it's been renamed. You know, and then they funnel money. It's like that old joke about, you know, the the hammer at the military costs a million dollars to have a, a hammer. Yeah. And it's like, no, they funnel money to different different things. And they call it a hammer. Right. They, so they say it's a hammer. That's but what they allocate the money for, else. but then they funnel it to other programs. These efforts led by President Ronald Reagan to sign Executive Order 12333, which stated that research with human subjects must require affirmative consent and documentation describing exactly what the subjects are consenting to. Yeah, it's okay. Just yeah, We're going to cut your head open and uh, remove a part of your skull, and then we're going to scoop out a little of this and add that. That's, you'd sign that, wouldn't you? No, I think I think what they do is it's, it's like when you take your medicine. You know, you will get your medicine. Um, it's got a, 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 a yeah. big booklet yeah, of what, what this stuff could do to you. And, and you're like, like yeah. yeah, and you throw it away. You, you don't it, even yeah. read it. So I'm in the military. You know, a guy comes up to me. I'm I'm a, I'm a private in the military. He says, Hey, you know what? You want to be you want to be a sergeant? 
Yeah. Just spend six months with us, and we'll make you a sergeant. And uh, and they slipped with this document that's probably an inch thick. Now, this isn't really going to happen to you, but i got to let you know it could happen to yeah. you. But don't you worry about it. It's not going to happen to you. And so, you know, you got – and they're not dealing with – they don't say anything about going to some college-educated captain or something. They're talking about grunts or sex workers or people who yeah. – you, you slip them a $20 bill and say – back then, $20 yeah. bill and say, hey, take this pill, you know. Amazing. That's, CIA, your, that's your government. The CIA publicly announced that MK Ultra experiments had been terminated, mm-hmm. allegedly. The, ult- the, the, the MK, MK Ultra was. <laughs> yeah. They called it, call it something <laughs> else. Project, the MK Ultra project led to immense distrust of the federal government no. and it's cent- central to many conspiracy theories about politicians and intelligence agencies in the U.S. In 1970, United States intelligence sources believed that the Soviet Union was spending 60 million rubles. How many is that in dollars? I don't know. Um, well, 60 million either. rubles is probably 50 cents. <laughs> Annually. <laughs> Psycho, well, they could do it cheaper over there, <laughs> like everything. Psychotronic research in response to claims that the Soviet program had produced results. The CIA initiated funding for a new program, because we can't do MK Ultra anymore, known as... Scanot, S-C-A-N, Scan 8, I don't know, Scan by Coordinate in the same year. Remote viewing research began in 72 at the Stanford Research Institute, SRI, in Menlo Park. So this is leading into, mm-hmm. we did, we're kind of, and then we're kind of coming back to the Menlo Park thing at Stanford. Proponents, Russell Targ and Harold Pudoff of the research said that a minimum accuracy rate of 65% required by the clients was often exceeded in the later experiments. Psych- Physicists Russell Targ and Harold Pudoff began testing psychics for SRI in 72, including one who would later become an international celebrity, Israeli Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller, my buddy. There he is. Their apparently successful results garnered interest within the U.S. Department of Defense. Ray Hyman, professor of psychology at the University of Oregon, was asked by Air Force psychologist Lieutenant Colonel Austin W. Gibbler, 1930 to 2000, we're showing when he was alive, I guess, uh, then director of behavioral research at at ARPA, it looks like, yeah, to go to SRA investigate. He was to specifically evaluate Geller. Hyman's report to the government was that Geller was a complete fraud, <laughs> and as a consequence, Targ and Pudoff lost their government contract to do further work with him. The result was a publicity tour for Geller, Targ, and Pudoff to seek private funding for further research work on Geller. One of the project's successes was the location of a lost Soviet spy plane in '76 by Rosemary Smith, a young administrative assistant recruited by Project Director Graf. In 77, the Army Assistant Chief of Staff for Intelligence, ASCI Systems Exploitation Detachment, SED, started the Gondola Wish Program. Who thinks these things up? The heck, I don't know. I think they were on LSD when they think of the name. Gondola (laughs) Wish Program to evaluate potential advert adversary applications of remote viewing. An army intelligence then formalized this in mid-78 and then mid-78 as an operational program grill frame, grill that, grill flame, based in buildings 25, well, we know where it is now, 25, yeah. 60, and 61, <laughs> in case you want to go visit. Yeah, absolutely. At Fort Meade in Maryland, you can INSCOM detachment. In early 79, the research at SRI was integrated into grill frame, which was redesignated. See, they just, I'm going to get caught to it, and I'm going to change the name. There you go. You know, redesignated INSCOM Center Lane Project, ICLP. In 1983, in 1984, the existence of the program was reported to Jack Anderson, and in that year, it was unfavorably received by the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council. In late 1985, the Army funding was terminated, but the program was redesignated Sunstreak 
and funded by the DIA's Scientific and Technical Intelligence Dictorate, official called DT-S, Sunstreak. That sounds fun. Maybe if it sounds funner, they won't bother them. If it sounds more benign. In, yeah, I think more likely. You know. In 91, most of the contracting, well, you can't call it Operation Skull Slice. <laughs> <laughs> or they might know what you're doing. In 91, most of the contracting for the program was transferred from SRI to, and now they're moving it around. Oh, yeah. The name's not only changing it, now it's moving to the Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC, with Edwin May controlling 70% of the contractor funds and 85% of the data. His security was altered from Special Access Program, SAP, to Limited Dissemination, LIMDIS. That's <laughs> almost, yeah. <Wow. laughs> and it was given its final name, Stardate. So that's, yeah, how, we got, that's how we got the Stardate. And in closure, in 1995, the Defense Appropriations Bill directed that the program be transferred from DIA to CIA oversight. I'm sure that's a lot better. The CIA commissioned a report by American Institutes for Research that found that remote viewing had not been proved to work by a psychic mechanism and said it had not been used operationally. The CIA subsequently canceled and declassified the program, probably renamed it. In 1995, the project was transferred to the CIA and a retrospective evaluation of the results was done. The appointed panel consisted primarily of Jessica Utz and Ray Hyman. Hyman had produced an unflattering report of Uri Geller and SRI for the government two decades earlier. But the psychologist David Marks found Utz's appointment to the review panel puzzling, given that she had publicized papers with Edwin May, considering this joint research likely to make her less than partial. A report by Utz claimed the reports were evidence of psychic functioning. However, Hyman in his report argued Utz's conclusion that ESP had been proven to exist, especially precognition, was premature and the findings had not been independently replicated. Hyman came to the conclusion psychologists who study subjective validation find nothing striking or surprising in the reported matching of reports against targets in the Stargate data. The overwhelming amount of data generated by the viewers is vague, general, and way off target. The view apparent hits are just what we would expect if nothing other than reasonable guessing and subjective validation are operating. Whereas Utz concluded, no one who has examined all of the data across laboratories taken as a collective whole has been able to suggest methodological or statistical problems to explain the ever-increasing and consistent results to date. There are other evaluations and other things. Um, Can you imagine, though, I mean, if this, and we will never know what the outcome of this project is, I mean, the real outcome of it is, but if you could take an individual who um, you want to make a candidate for president of the United States, and start programming him by first wiping his mind and then planting your own subversive things into it and throwing support behind him and him becoming president of the United States and doing his will by activating him by certain names and stuff, certain words. Oh, I mean, crazy. that's the scary part. I mean, I, you know, um, you know, doing the research on this, it, it just amazes. Num number one, experimenting on people, that's been going on since, you know, since the dawn of time. Um, and certainly telling you that, you know, you have to be, has to be under your consent. We already addressed that. It's going to be, they're not going to tell you the whole truth, but, um, having a situation where somebody is just programmed to do something really, really wrong, uh, is scary stuff because yeah. it, it could be your neighbor who you wave at every day out raking leaves and then they call him up and say one word and he's down there trying to do something really subversive. Um, and I truly believe it's 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 very real possibility, and I'm I'm with you. They might change the name every year to get funding for it, but it's still going on. Of course, they've transferred it to private private agencies, but 
there's a lot of private companies that are funded by the government, and it, right now SpaceX, you know, they get government funding. I mean, yeah. it's not just. I know it's private, but they get money. Yeah, of course they you do. You know, they get money. They, they're, they're sending government satellites up, so they get paid for stuff. But um, uh, Ed Dames is the one that scares the heck out of me. His, his, his uh, moniker is Dr. Doom, because his thing is, is that he, according to what he's been quoted as saying, is, is that he led a team that created assassinations by thought. Yeah. Right. Do you remember the movie Scanners? Yeah. That oh, was yeah. that was the whole preference. You, I can concentrate on it and make your head, you know, just blow up. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up another segment of the Alien Probe podcast. Check out our website, alienprobe.net, Twitter at alienprobepod, Instagram at alienprobe.pod, excuse me, alienprobepod, Facebook, the Alien Probe podcast, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcast. And I'd like to thank. Uh, Charles D., Marilyn K., and Tim T. for sending us questions on the Alien Probe Podcast at gmail.com. Keep those questions coming. We certainly will address those. Special thanks to Robert Anthony, our producer, and our co-host today, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time, and thanks for listening. Just one more thing. All right, go, go. You go. You know... uh, that movie Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson? Yes. And you know how they, he, he would put this broadcast out? I mean, he would put a letter together, and there would be all these weird conspiracies, and, of course, they went after him. Yeah. I'm just wondering if one day we're going to touch on something. Okay, everybody out there, one of us disappears. <laughs> Look at our podcast, man. <laughs> See what happens. Thanks again. See you next time.